Alright, alright, alright. The date is May 28th, 1976. It's the last day of school in Austin, Texas. The new seniors at Lee High School go on the local annual hazing spree of the incoming freshmen after they leave middle school for good. Welcome to Raiders of Lost Podcast. Let's talk about dazed and confused. School's out, out for summer. summer. Richard Linklater, <laughs> he's always been such a maverick filmmaker in American cinema. And this is an example of it. I mean, Slacker, his first film was just made on a shoestring budget his own way, and it was moderately successful. And then he was able to make a studio film with this one, and he's still stuck to that. He makes movies his way. He's never done it the way the, that the studio system wants him to do it. He's improvisational. He's loose. He likes to create as he films with his actors and with his crew. And his films are so special. It's shocking how many great films Richard Linklater has made. There's, and there's nothing... It doesn't shock me anymore, man. There's nothing that there's nothing like a Linklater movie. There, there really yeah. isn't. Yeah, I mean, he's made a, a trilogy masterpiece as well as some of the most loved movies of all time. Maybe the best high school teenage movie ever made with Dazed and Confused came out in 1993. IMDb, it's a 7.6 with over 200,000 ratings. Rotten Tomatoes, 93% critic score, 90% audience score. Letterboxd, it's a 3.9, which is pretty high for Letterboxd. Budget of $6.9 million. It only grossed $8 million at the box, over, box office. However, the DVD VHS sales were absurd for this film. It's grossed over, sales. over $30 million just on DVD sales. I couldn't find any numbers for VHS or merchandise, but it's got to be through the roof as well as online SVOD rentals are probably absurd because it's such a popular movie. When we were in high school, like this was the last day of school movie. I remember watching it in class one day because it's just really? it just spanned generations and it just is that movie. It's so iconic to teen culture, to high school, last day of school, a celebration, but then this story of these this local high school and these local kids in addition to the annual hazing as the day progresses into night, it's about these teens just driving around trying to find a good time, trying to figure out where the party's going to be. It gets busted at that guy's house, so then they have to figure out where are we going to meet up, where's the beer run going to end, and then they have the uh, the party at the, the moon tower at the end of the film. This is a time, and it's set in the 70s. It's funny because... Every generation thinks that they're, the time they grew up is like the worst time ever. Yeah. And the kids even say that in this movie. They're like, well, the, at least the 80s are coming soon. Maybe the 80s would be great because it'll definitely be better than this. But the 70s is regarded as like the greatest time to be a teenager in American culture, I would say. Probably. I mean, the best music, the best movies, the best atmosphere. You could do anything. Alcohol it was like the Wild was, West. Yeah. You could drink at 18. Yeah, so you could. There, it was way, <laughs> there's a lot more freedom to be a teenager at that time. A lack of social media, obviously, and phones. So... Kids were just out and about in this film, just like pretty much every other Richard Linklater movie, doesn't really have doesn't really have a plot. It's more about uh, capturing life and capturing a certain whether it be a couple of characters or like this an entire community of characters, and that being the school students and students who have recently graduated, students that are going to be seniors, and then a lot of junior high students who are moving into high school. So he's capturing an entire subset of a community within the Austin, Texas area, and this film in a lot of ways, put Austin, Texas on the map culturally. It became such a popular movie. And I like how you're talking about how, you know, Link later, he wanted to do something different. He does different things. You know, it's his own style. And I, I like to describe Days and Confused as not a stoner movie. A lot of people put it in the stoner movies list, which, sure, you could put it in there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of token going on this We're movie. drinking the token. Quite a bit of yeah. uh, smoking weed. However, I don't look at it as a, as a stoner movie. And the posters would tell you otherwise. The marketing campaign would tell you otherwise. And the studio actually marketed it as a stoner film to Linklater's dismay, 
Gramercy Pictures. And I get they want to capitalize on the stoner craze of the late 80s, They're early trying 90s. to sell it, yeah. You know what I mean? So, But he later describes his intent with Dazed, is, with Dazed and Confused as an inverse to a John Hughes film where the drama is so low-key in Dazed and Confused. I don't remember teenage years being that dramatic. I remember just trying to go with the flow, socialize, fit in and be cool. The stakes were really low. To get Arrow ticket Smith, Arrow Smith tickets or not, that's the plot of the movie, kind of. That's the big deal when you're a teenager. It was really rare when star-crossed lovers from the opposite side of the tracks. And the girl gets pregnant, there's a car crash, and somebody dies. All these dramatic high school movies. He wanted to do something different. That didn't really happen much for him in high school. But riding around, trying to look for something to do with the music cranked up. Now, that happened a lot, according to Link, Link later. Yeah, that's how. That's what I remember from my high school days. And, I mean, the most listening to country grammar and the country <laughs> Some Nelly. Nelly. No, no. Who was big in like two, like 2005? 50 Cent, bro. 50 Cent was pretty big in 2005. In the club. Little John. In the club. Little John was huge. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what we did when we were teenagers. We would drive around with our friends. And in a way, like what they did in this movie, and I only grew up in the 70s, wasn't that much different from us. We grew up, we had video games. We had Game Boy. We had Sega. We had all that stuff. We did have the internet. We did have the internet, but it was very early internet. But we would still, like, we would spend our days and nights driving around with friends. And, you know, we did smoke the the reefer every once in a while, <laughs> that Mary Jane, <laughs> quite a bit. And that's and, and in a lot of ways, I remember being a teenager, and we watched this with our friends. And I, it was a movie that I really related to. I was like, this is what we're doing right now. We're just driving around. It was funny when I would watch that movie as, like, a high schooler, I'd be like, I'm doing the same stuff. We're doing the same stuff that they did back then. Podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> well, now it's very different. Now now people are oftentimes living socially on, on the internet in different ways, and that's how we're evolving as a, a community um, with technology, and technology is evolving us in a lot of ways socially. But I feel lucky that we grew up in a time where we weren't much different from the kids in this movie. And I feel like it's what's so cool about this movie is it's so it seems like so accurate and this is where Linklater grew up. Obviously, we never saw hazing like this when we were in high school. I had never heard of it. I don't think hazing was really much of a thing outside of, you know, college, um, what do you call it, sororities and fraternities. fraternities. Well, this is yeah. specific to Texas. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. So yeah. from Linklater's interviews, he said that he's, this happened in his high school specifically. And it was more common for things like this to happen in, like, small Little nowhere schools and all over Texas and probably all over the South. I called Janice to see what happened when she was in high school because Janice was 14 years old in 1976, the year this movie takes place. So I was so like, she liked that girl I, exactly. High girl. I was like, hey, mom. So what happened? Was there hazing with the seniors and the incoming freshmen, the new seniors? She's like, I never saw anything like that. Now then I did a little more research and I found the same thing you found that it was all basically local to Texas. Of course, there are small towns outside of Texas that, that this happened to. Not every high school in Texas had hazing like this, but I think the hazing is one of the most iconic parts of the movie because it's real for specific people. You know, Richard Linklater, like you said, based it on his actual life in his small town of Huntsville, Texas. We have the paddles. We have the junior high kids. They're about to be freshmen after the summer and the the juniors who are the new seniors for the next year that's the, the main characters of the movies they're all the seniors that are about they're about to be seniors they go hunting these boys same same with the girls the senior girls go hunting the the junior high and freshman girls to basically haze them with the boys it's beating the crap out of them with these paddles which sounds terrible and looks terrible the girls it's more humiliation based it's more the binkies in their mouths humiliating them by covering them with food and ketchup putting them through the car wash it's a rite of passage for them in a lot of ways and going back to 
how you said it didn't feel too different from how we grew up. With Dazed and Confused, I always feel a, a sense of nostalgia for it, even though it's a time period I didn't grow up in. I didn't exist in the 1970s, but I feel connected to it because we had we were similar. We didn't, it was pre-smartphone when we were at this time. But there's something about this movie that even if you didn't grow up in the 70s, it feels nostalgic to you. You just feel like you were part of this world at one point. And the cast is amazing. It, it's really, really remarkable how many huge actors ended up in this cast because at the time Mila Jovovich was the most famous person in this cast. What was she in? She was a extremely successful international model. Oh, that's right. She's as model, well yeah. as a, a she's she's she was a model when she was like 13. She was like big di- big time super high-end model uh, all over the world when she was a teenager. So she was a, she was by far the most famous person. But you get Matthew McConaughey in an early role, Parker Posey. Well, he was undiscovered. He yeah. wasn't even doing he wasn't even an actor, I don't think. Well, he was he did a great job. But he was <laughs> he got cast because he was at the at a bar uh-huh. and the casting director was at the end of the bar and someone was talking to McConaughey and they told McConaughey that person cast Sean Penn in this other movie and they're casting a movie right now that's being shot locally and McConaughey's all right, I'm going to go talk all to right, him right, right, now. All right, all right, all right. All right. And then obviously Ben Affleck and Cole Houser, I'm sure they met on this film and that's why Ben brought him along for Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. And then we um we get Adam Goldberg, who's great, Rory Cochran, who's turning into a very good dramatic actor. He was in Hostiles, opposite Christian Bale. He's great in that film. Uh, Miljovovic, obviously. Jason London. Now, Jason London, I didn't realize, had an identical twin brother who was also an actor. Now, I always thought he was also in Mallrats. He has a brother named Jeremy London. His brother is the guy in Mallrats. And Jason London's the main character, J- kind yeah. of Ma- Randall Pink Floyd. Yeah, so Jason London, he's known for Days and Confused, and he's an out cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy London is known for Mallrats, Seventh Heaven, and a bunch of other movies. What? They're I thought that different, was the same guy. They're different people. They're identical twins. They, they I, gotta, both had, I gotta look this up. Look it up. They, it's crazy. They look the same. I always thought they were the same guy. And then upon doing extensive research. Extensive. This episode, <laughs> you mean the internet for four minutes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I realized, oh my God. Holy these are two different people. Crap. I always thought that the guy from Mallrats was the guy from Days and Confused because we grew up watching both movies. I Dude, never, yeah. I never realized they were different people. Uh, the main difference, it looks like Jason London has that gap in between his front teeth. A yeah, little, yeah, yeah. But I otherwise, mean, they look extremely identical. Whoa! Especially in their 20s. I am blown away. I thought it was one person. Isn't it? So right. Jason London's in Out Cold and yes. Days and Confused. Yeah. Jeremy London's in the other part in Mallrats. It's crazy. And then Ben Affleck's, Holy al- fuck, Affleck's also in Mallrats. Isn't that crazy? When did Mallrats come out? 95, 96? Couple years after this. Yes. And then um, Joey Lauren Adams, she's also in uh, the Kevin Smith movie Chasing Amy. And Big Daddy. And Big Daddy. <laughs> so she had a really good career. Adam Goldberg's been crushing it in the 2000s as well. Right now... You gotta say, I mean, Ben Affleck's Matthew McConaughey, they're both massive. And then the person who's had the biggest recent career resurgence is Cole Hauser, who is one of them. He's the most liked character on um, the Kevin Costner show, Yellowstone. Yellowstone. He's like, everybody loves him. And he's, yeah. Apparently, he's doing a great job on, on that show, and he's gonna be rising up even, her, even farther. But the cast is really fantastic. There are obviously, like any film like this, a bunch of actors that never really became actors, and Wiley Wiggins looking yeah. at you, Wiley Wiggins. <laughs> but I mean, that's the way it goes. That's the way. It, I mean, for a film like this, it's low budget. He wanted to cast you no, know, not a bunch of famous people, and obviously, he the cast really worked. But not everyone became a very successful actor. That's just the way it is. But for their roles, they all did a great job. I think obviously the biggest surprise has got to be Matthew McConaughey just coming out of nowhere and being, in a way, even though he's a small supporting character the most synonymous actor associated with this film. Absolutely, because Jason London's good in the movie, but I, you don't really remember him like 
as the key, the face of the movie. Same you can't even remember his name. Wiley yeah. Wiggins, even though he, he's the, the middle school kid, like the lead Mitch. middle school kid, Mitch, the, the younger brother of the senior girl. He's very forgetful, I guess, as a character, and he just touches his nose constantly. The nose every, touching. You can count. The nose pinching. He pinches his nose every time he does the frustration. Like, goodness, I'm sure Linklater probably had to tell him to stop it, but, like, there's one scene... I think it's when he's outside of the Emporium. He's talking to the other middle school girl who's also like the new cool kid yeah. for that age group. And they're complaining about O'Bannon, played by Ben Affleck. He pinches his nose, I think, seven times in 14 seconds. It, it drove me crazy watching I it. I bet that was an early scene, and then Linklater was like, okay, man, stop pinching the nose. And like, we shot it on film, so we kind of got to <laughs> use it. <laughs> but the, t- the whole cast basically is just undiscovered talent, getting people locally from the area, to, which I think it works because it adds so much of authenticity to the Utes, the Utes kid. The Utes. They seem like real kids, and Vince Vaughn was actually almost cast as O'Bannon oh, wow. before Ben Affleck. Then he also got cast, almost got cast as another character. However, he looked too much like Ben Affleck, so they didn't cast him. They almost sort of could have looked like brothers, I guess you could say, if they're both in the same movie at that time. And also... And then, uh, well, Linklater said he chose Ben Affleck for O'Bannon because... They were both great, but he said Ben was smart and full of life. You don't you don't cast the unappealing person just because they would make a good villain. You cast the person who's still very appealing. So I get that, and you see Ben Affleck's very charismatic in this movie. Oh, he's he's, he's fantastic. I think the best performance in the whole movie. He's awesome. And his freak out and his tantrum after getting covered in paint. It's like on par with DiCaprio once upon a time in Hollywood as like all time temper tantrums on screen. And it's a one take. It's fantastic. It's he, incredible. He's really wonderful in that scene. Renee Zellweger, the Oscar winning actress, has a Two-time small, Oscar winner. small role in Dazed and Confused. She plays just a girl in a pickup truck on the bed just holding a, a beer, just chugging beer. That's, That's Renee Zellweger on the back of a truck. It's insane. And other actors who are very famous now who were considered for roles in this film were Elizabeth Berkley, Mira Servino. Ashley Judd, Brendan Fraser, John Favreau, Ron Livingston, and Claire Danes. So like a who's who of young 90s actors. We're all probably read for these roles or, or for up for the roles. And let's not forget Parker Posey. She oh, yeah. plays sort of the O'Bannon female counterpart <laughs> where O'Bannon's the biggest bully of all the boys and the guys. Parker Posey plays a girl who's the biggest bully of the girls. Wipe that face off your head, bitch. <laughs> She's such That's a, a great line. They're such jerks, but they should, like, date. They're the same person. <laughs> and in terms of Wiley Wiggins, who plays Mitch Kramer, Linklater cast him, and it was surprising because he seems like a very innocent kid, but Linklater said he cast him because he described Wiley Wiggins as a 15-year-old kid who had all the bad habits of a graduate student by smoking cigarettes and hanging out at coffee shops all the time. So he was like that in real life, and that's one of the reasons why he cast him, because he already had a mature behavior. Um, I always thought he was like, in person, must have seemed like very innocent and out of place. I think he works fine for the role. Yeah. He's obviously not the best performance in the movie. It's just the nose pinch, man. <laughs> I can't take the nose pinching. Aside from that, he's totally fine. Yeah, yeah it's the nose pinching. It's this naive young kid who's about to be the coolest kid in high school, because you look at him in pink, you know, Randall is sort of probably the same. They're synonymous. That's what probably Randall is exactly like, and you get to see the beginnings of a cool kid being formed in, in high school with Mitch, really. Well, that's what happens, you see, with both the guys and the girls, is they, it's like the, the older generation helps, in a way, bringing up the younger generation by putting them through the ritualistic hazing that they went through. But then also being, hey, there's a party. Want to come hang out with us? So kind of showing them a, the ropes in a way. And you can see that Mitch and the girl, I think Cynthia is the other junior. They're going to be like the cool kids of the high school when they get older. Exactly. But 
You good over there? Look at this guy. Yeah, he's had a scratchy throat all week. So it's we'll, more than we'll, a scratchy throat. We'll let it go. <laughs> you good? I'm good. <laughs> and Matthew McConaughey, obviously, as Wooderson, it's the most iconic role in this movie. The lines are still said to this day. You know, people quote this movie still. All right, all right, all right. You just got to keep living. L I V I N. It's incredible. He's, I can't believe this guy got picked out of thin air really and just became the biggest star out of this whole entire cast. Probably, probably between him and Ben Affleck, they're up in the air in terms of being an A-list actor. Who would you say is like the biggest star between them two? Biggest star, I would say, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, right now. Ben was just gotta, Batman. It's got to be Matthew, though. You think? Yeah, I think because he also has the acclaim and immense respect as an actor. Yep, well, Ben's respected as well. I would say biggest star, I think it's a tie. It, I mean, it's tough. It's they both you, got an Oscar. Yeah. Well, Ben's got two for Argo. It's hard to pick. It's really hard to decide. They're However, both- Matthew McConaughey's role as Wooderson was supposed to be much smaller than it was, and Linklater actually had him do more than they initially planned. This is because the the actor who played Kevin, the guy who was throwing the party. Kevin Pick? Ke- Kevin Pickford. Pickford. So that actor, Sean Andrews, didn't get along with the rest of the cast. So when they made this film, Linklater in the, comp- in the production company put the all the actors up at a hotel. So the actors all lived together at this huge hotel in town. And that's the way they spent like a month. When they were filming, they would spend nights and weekends there, obviously. And Affleck said it was very much, it very much mirrored the behavior of the, of the movie. Of like, we're all just hanging out, we're all getting high, we're all just drinking, partying on the weekend. So it actually very much mirrored what was happening in the story of the film. However, the actor who played Kevin, Sean Andrews, didn't get along with anyone. He even got in a fight with one of the other actors. And Link later said that he felt that he wasn't vibing with any of the other actors, and all the other actors were, like, kind of put off by this guy. His role was supposed to be one of the leads, and then they cut down his role because of the lack of chemistry with anyone, and they beefed up McConaughey's role because he was so memorable on screen. It's sort of like a Thin Red Line situation or <laughs> where Adam Brody, Adrian Brody gets cut from basically the whole movie. It's Now we have a John Caviezel as the star of that film afterwards. It's Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel. <laughs> the legacy of Days and Confused is one of the most memorable. This movie's 30 years old. We're still talking about it, still enjoying it. It still holds up. It has all the humor aged incredibly well? Most of it actually has. Of course, there's some stuff there that's just... You need some context because it's the 1970s. There's a different world. It was 50 years ago, so you kind of have to understand that. Obviously, there's the odd dating situations where someone that's a senior and a freshman, that kind of stuff. But that always happens in high schools anyways. But the, I look at it as like it's a 16-year-old dating a 14-year-old. They're both like kids. That. 17. Yeah. Anyways. If but, you're a junior becoming a senior, you could be 16. That's always part of high school. Yeah. It's one of those things that's like kind of yeah. weird. It's kind of weird, but also at the same time, it's accepted in the context in mm-hmm. a lot of different ways. But the legacy is still there. You know, Quentin Tarantino included this on one of his top 10 greatest films of all time in 2002's Sight and Sound Poll. And I got to say, I hadn't seen this movie in a few years. And I watched it the other night for prep, obviously. And you know what I immediately thought of within five minutes is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It has the exact same feel and vibe as well as just the soundtracks, the driving around. You can tell that Tarantino was heavily inspired by Days and Confused when he was writing and filming Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Half that movie is driving around listening to music. And that's kind of half the movie of Days and Confused because it captures what it feels like to be that age and that era and that time period just driving around, trying to find something to do, listening to some kick-ass classic rock at the time was modern rock, which is, I'm so jealous of, this is what they were listening to on the radio, 
it just feels so I so so memorable to what we were doing when we were teenagers. That's why everyone feels nostalgia to this film. When I watch this film, I think of American Graffiti. Okay, yeah. George Lucas's film is like very. This is very reminiscent of it. Of the, you know, the kids driving around. It's the '60s or the '50s, having fun, <clears throat> meeting girls, talking to girls from their car, <laughs> trying to pick them up, <laughs> going to get burgers at the. Uh, what do you call it? The, the roller skating. The, the the waitresses on roller skates that kind of place. Oh, the burgers. Yeah, they, uh, there's that kind of joint in this yeah, one too. So I definitely, I, I absolutely see American Graffiti in this film. I have some fun, Days and Confused Letterbox reviews. I would love to like hear them. Now, Ed gave it five stars, and wrote, "Is it normal to feel nostalgic about a time and place I didn't even exist in?" Which you just said. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I feel and the same way. Katie, but I was feeding off you, man. You kind of <laughs> kind of said it first, but I just oh, phrased thanks, it differently. Katie said with two stars. That's not Ben Affleck acting. He's just like that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Don't be talking about my Batman like that, but maybe. Muriel gave it five stars and wrote, I want to own all the outfits from this movie and kiss all the girls from this movie and smoke a joint with all the boys from this movie. It's just a good time. This movie is just finding a good time, hanging with your friends, looking for something to do. Letitia gave it five stars and wrote, the way Matthew McConaughey just plays himself, iconic. <laughs> he really does. I believe I read that he based the performance of Wooderson off his older brother. Really? So that's like what his older brother was pretty much exactly like. So that's pretty funny. In 2003, more on the legacy, Entertainment Weekly ranked it number 17 on the top 50 cult films of all time. And also third on the list of 50 best high school movies. It's 10th on the funniest movies of all time, past 25 years list, and ranked Number six on their Cult 25 list. Ron Tomatoes, like Anthony said earlier, credits the film for putting Austin, Texas on the map. There's actually a lawsuit that happened. I heard about this. Let's talk about the lawsuit. Now, in 2004, three of Linklater's former classmates, whose names are Wooderson, Slater, and Floyd, (laughs) sound familiar, filed a defamation lawsuit against Linklater, claiming... To be the basis for the similarity named similarly named characters of the film, the lawsuit was filed in New Mexico rather than Texas because New Mexico has a longer statute of limitations. However, the suit was dismissed. What are they suing them for? Just because they used their their names, I guess. Trying to get some money, man. I know, yeah, but still, obviously, it was dismissed because it's kind of a silly and pointless thing. People will sue for anything. We live in a very litigious litigious society. Litigious. Vocab word of the day. What's litigious mean? Uh, you're more you're susceptible to take people to court or, or law, put law oh, in situations. Yeah, basically. people will sue over anything. Yeah, you're more like you're likely to sue people. We're in a very litigious society. You, you can use that anytime you want, Anthony. Go for it. And actually, this film <laughs> was supposed to be a little bit darker than it is. Now, like with the lighting. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to look like a Tim Burton movie during the editing. Or Harry Potter. Shut up. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. During the editing process, the film was cut down from 165 minutes to only 102 minutes. Now, this movie is a quick ride. It's an hour and a half. 
And it's, in a lot of ways, it's perfect. But you don't want to leave it. Exactly. You know, it feels great. It, it doesn't linger too long, though. That's the strength of Lingering, it. Lingering. Linger. Now, many darker scenes were originally shot for the film, however, were cut in the editing process. This includes one in which Benny disparages two Vietnam refugees, and another in which Kay and Jody reflect on a teenager's tombstone during the big party. A research screening was held in Dallas in November, which produced a score of about 38 out of 100, which not, is very, not very good. It's not good at all. Link later changed the film, cut those darker scenes out, and then subsequent screenings improved the score to the low 80s. Thank goodness they did that. All right, get, get it, let's get Anthony's voice out of here. Let's Sorry. listen to this guy. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> He's man. dying. You're going to get me sick, man. I'm kidding. I've been around you all week. I haven't gotten nothing. I would love to talk about the music. In Days and Confused because they have some of the best needle drops of all time. This is what I mean. It feels so much like a Tarantino movie, specifically Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So the soundtrack for this movie is absurd. Let's run through some of it. And also, the album went triple platinum in Canada and double platinum in the United States. Wow. So we have Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, which I remember playing on Guitar Hero when I was like a 15-year-old stoner. Rock and Roll we have Slow Ride by Foghat. We have Alice Cooper's Schools uh, Schools Out by Alice Cooper. Sorry. We have Tush by ZZ Top Schools. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Jim Dandy. I got to pull You're the computer great. a little closer. I will say something right before you get more into this. I noticed, I never noticed it before when watching this film. You only hear music in school. One time, and it's after the school bell rings. School's out for summer. So when you're inside the school, there's no music at all. It's a very quiet movie. There's nothing at all that for music. That takes about 20, 25 minutes, too. No music. And then when the school well, bell rings. Well, except for the opening. Well, yeah, the opening. With Aerosmith's Sweet right. Emotion. That that plays for like four minutes. Okay, that happens. But then it's then it's silent. It's just dialogue. Yeah, once the song and the ends. kid's in school. And then we don't hear music again until... The school bell rings. Let's get more into this. So Tush by ZZ Top. Love Hurts by Nazareth. Stranglehold by Ted Nugent, which plays twice. It's such a banger of a song. How's that one go? It's the opening. I love that song. So good. We have Cherry Bomb by The Runaways, which is also in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Fun fact. Fox on the Run by Sweets. Low Rider by War, which we all know from Gone 60 Seconds. Tuesday's Gone by Leonard Skinner, Highway Star by Deep Purple, Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss, and Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Now, those are on the album. However, there's several songs that didn't make it onto the album because of co- of issues that they would have with the uh, licensing, the licensing yeah. stuff. So we have Free Ride by Edgar Winter Group, another Alice Cooper song. We have No More Mr. Nice Guy, Living in the USA by the Steve Miller Band, Never Been Any Reason by Head East. Why Can't We Be Friends by War, Summer Breeze by Seals and Crofts, Right Place, Wrong Time by Dr. John, another ZZ Top song we have, Balinese, Lord Have Mercy on My Soul, Black Oak, Arkansas, I Just Want to Make Love to You, Fog Hats, Show Me the Way, Peter Frampton, and Do Like, Do You Feel Like We Do by Peter Frampton. There's one on this list that also isn't here at all We ha- because they play Hurricane by Bob Dylan at the Emporium scene. What about that? the ending song? It's in Happy Gilmore, too. So Happy Gilmore made it famous. You know what song I'm talking about? It's um, sh- hold on, hold on. I'm trying to remember the. So the end crisis is when they're in the car to get the Aerosmith tickets. 
I hope I'm not the only one listening to Anthony's. What's that song? It's Leonard Skinnerd. Is it Leonard Skinner's song? End credits to Days and Confused. Let's let's look this up right now on my computer. Days are gone. We have Final Scene, Final Credits. Slow Ride. Yeah, Slow Ride. That's Slow Ride. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, Slow Ride is the end credit song. It's played twice as well then. So the soundtrack's absolutely absurd. But yeah, so they don't even have Bob Dylan's Hurricane listed on here, which is one of the best needle drops in the whole movie. That's the op- the Emporium scene when, when Wooderson comes through the That's door. That's great. It's a great, great, great. Slow motion. It's a Scorsese shot. It's not slow motion. It's not slow motion? No. It's just that epic. It feels yeah, like slow motion. It does feel like slow motion. <laughs> it feels like there's smoke behind it's it. It's because like when they walk into the bar, like they're the coolest people. Exactly. He is especially. It's the best shot in the movie. I, I love that one. But the soundtrack is absolutely absurd. Zeb- Led Zeppelin's song, Rock and Roll, was originally going to have its place at the final scene and credits instead of the Leonard Skinner song. However, Jimmy Page approved of that, but Robert Plant did not approve of it. So the Led Zeppelin band did not get a song in Days and confused because Robert Plant just salty couldn't let it couldn't let it happen. Why not? It would have been a sick ending. Yeah, but I think great. The, to open the movie with Aerosmith's "Sweet Emotion" is just incredible. It's just the perfect song to get you ready for the experience you're about to have, as well as the final day of high school is always exciting. The, high, the final day of school is always exciting, no matter what grade you're in. You're just waiting all month, waiting all week, waiting all year for it to end, and. You're just in class. Just even the teachers are just half-assing. They're just like hanging out, waiting for that bell to ring. I like Mr. Payne. Yeah, Mr. Payne's hilarious, and the bell finally rings, and everyone's partying. School's out for summers. Playing by Alice Cooper, throwing the paper everywhere. I don't remember throwing paper everywhere, but I remember one of the mo- one of the best parts about the last day of school when the bell rings is ripping everything out your locker in terms of the stickers or whatever you had taped up in there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, but it's not the case for the junior boys. <laughs> who are running for their lives? Because I love there. I love when um, O'Bannon and the others, Cole Hauser and, and the other guy, they make that announcement outside the school during like the last class. It's so terrifying for the the junior boys because the junior girls they get hazed, but then like then it's fine. They get driven home. They're not stuff. getting physically abused. Yeah, they're not getting fucking beat <laughs> down by these guys. And so it's it's really funny because it's so horrifying for the kids and like. Once the bell rings, they're like not even celebrating. They're like, we got to get out of here without being seen. I was doing some research on the hazing uh, last night about this, and I came across a Reddit post about this. Was this real? Was hazing like this real in high school in the 70s and 80s? And half of it was, no, I never experienced this, but then half of it were stories that people experienced from hazing. And someone said that they grew up in the 70s in Texas and that something like that completely happened where – uh, the seniors pulled up outside of the high, of their middle school on the last day of school and were taunting them about oh my god having to leave and just like you better run you better run and, and hide somewhere because we're gonna get you as well as guns getting pulled on hazers of of the new seniors by parents that were trying to protect their kids happened. I love in school how the teachers are also just like it's the last day I'm just trying to get through the day I don't even care <laughs> at the woodshop class. One of the kids is making a paddle to start beating the other kids with. Cole Hauser is, yeah. yeah. And then we, the stoners are making a bong, <laughs> a wood bong. He's like, hey, man, no, you see you got air coming in there right now. It's gotta, no good. It's no good. Got to get some like gum in there or something. <laughs> and the teacher's in the background. He's making a bong. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Man, I, I really love the music to this, sound, to this song, and 
I think they did a terrific job. A sixth of the budget of the $7 million budget went to acquiring the rights to the music for this film. And it was worth it. Money well spent. Absolutely. I gotta say, I can only imagine how much it would cost now to get all these in there. That's why no one puts Beatles songs in their movies. And that's probably why Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of his most expensive movies he's ever made. Although, I mean, that that album is it's not really filled with famous tracks like some of his other movies. I guess that some of them, yeah. Some of them are, yeah. But for the most part, I never heard of half the yeah. tracks on that movie. I never heard of most of them. But, but there's, they're very memorable. It works. So he's, he's pretty clever about stuff like that. It's quite clever. But I think just things like this just cost so much more money nowadays. Oh, yeah, for sure. To, to acquire the rights for a song. Mm-hmm. Especially, like you said, that's why there's no Beatles song in this. And Led Zeppelin, to, to get the rights for a Led Zeppelin song today, like really only Marvel's affording that, it seems like, because they seem to put Led Zeppelin songs in pretty... Yeah, we're talking about, I mean, for something like that, close to a mil. At least, the at least these days, at least. Now, how about we run to our superlatives? Yes. Speaking of high school, coolest, best smile and everything like that. <laughs> Go to our intermission. I didn't win anything. And then we'll go back to talking about days and Confused. So let's begin, Anthony. Who is the MVP of the movie Dazed and Confused? Richie Linklater, guy. Same. Putting this whole thing together and just having the vision and the wherewithal to still stick to his guns, even under studio pressure, which he was under a lot of studio pressure to do certain things. And they wanted sex in the film, but he kept sex out of it. They were constantly just on his on top of him and he stuck to his guns and really made a special film that will always be like a landmark in this genre absolutely man like you said no one makes movies like richard link later he's an auteur he's a visionary and i like how he didn't put sex in this movie at all there's obviously making out and stuff like that but for the studios that were demanding a sex scene or more relationships stuff going on he shot some things here and there he didn't shoot a sex scene he shot a topless scene of somebody flashing uh, other characters, but he cut that because it just doesn't work. You don't need it. And he was right. Obviously, he didn't have a huge box office, but the rentals and VHS and DVD sales and SVOD, don't lie. This is one of the most loved movies, uh, one of the most loved American movies of all time. It has yeah, to be. especially of the 90s. So I agree. Richard Linklater is the MVP, sticking to his guns, taking a bunch of local talent and a bunch of inexperienced actors and just creating just one of the most memorable movies of all time. Next up, what's the best scene in Days and Confused, Anthony? I would say it's when school ends and it's the high sc- the seniors are searching for the juniors, <laughs> specifically the senior boys searching for the junior boys because the girls all give so in. So junior, you mean junior high boys? Junior high boys. Because it yeah. sounds like sorry, you're, sorry, yeah, yeah, junior yeah. high boys. Because with the girls, like they go because they know they're not going to be physically hurt. Whereas for the for the boys, it's like you're just trying to avoid getting your ass beat. Literally. And so, and it's the moment of like highest conflict for the film, obviously. And it's just really funny because all the other students are celebrating and it's great. They're, they're done with school, but then the junior high boys are like, fuck, let's get out of here before we get destroyed. And they wait for Mitch after baseball because yeah. Mitch's older sister, she's going to be one of these new seniors. And she tells the senior boys, take it easy on my brother. All right. Just don't go too hard on him. I know you're going to get him. I'm not telling you not to just take it easy on him. And of course, O'Bannon and the others say, Oh, we're going to get this kid even worse. And he becomes the main target. He's the one that they're talking to outside the classroom. Mitch Kramer, Mitchy, 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 you better run. (laughs) Colossus is great in this. 
I love the shot at the end of the party where he tries to stand up, but he's so drunk <laughs> that he sits back down. He puts his hat on. He's like, okay, I'm just chilling here then. I love the pickup truck with the fold-down chairs and yeah. the cooler in the back, too, in the bed. It's great. It's, it's amazing. It's yeah. illegal, but <laughs> like you shouldn't drink in bed. I mean, the 17-year-olds doing that. Imagine that. That's just what the That's 70s were like, man. It was the Wild yeah. West of doing whatever you wanted. It's crazy. Moving on next to, oh, my favorite scene. I think the best scene in this movie is... The introduction at the Emporium. Oh, nice. This is where they go after the party gets busted, obviously with the kegs getting delivered too early at Pickford's house. So they're all just, let's go to the Emporium. We'll figure out what to do when we're there. And McConaughey, we're introduced to Wooderson and McConaughey outside the Emporium. And then we have that great shot of, with Bob Dylan's Hurricane playing, him busting through the doors with the dudes behind him. And Wooderson's the man, even though he's like a couple of years out of high school. He's the king. He is like the king of this town. And you feel that presence. You feel his aura and his energy as he walks through the scene. And like Andy said, he thought that shot was in slow-mo. It's not. It's in exactly. 24 right. frames yeah. per second. It's, it's in real time. It just looks so good. It feels so good. It's so cool with the music. And the importance is just awesome because we get to see just teens and life just hanging out, having fun. Having drinking beers, playing pool, socializing. It's just the hippest place you can be in the town for sure. Wanna play some foosball? <laughs> all right. And then O'Bannon's being a dick playing pool. You are the worst pool player of all time. And I'm gonna show you right now. Maybe if you watch something, you might learn something. <laughs> Nobody likes O'Bannon. Nobody. Yeah. Moving on to the best shot from Days and Confused Anthony. What do you got? Best shot. Oh, shit, I didn't do a best shot. Of course you did. Do yours, and I'll think about mine. So my best shot is Wooderson walking into the Emporium. Not to sound like a broken record, but it's epic. It feels amazing when you watch that sequence, and I love that shot, man. He's a fucking king. I would say I love uh, – it's two shots, really. It's a two-shot of uh, the slow-mo of Mitch throwing the final strikeout. <laughs> and then it cuts to the to the seniors just waiting for him in slow motion. So Pretty I'd crazy. say the seniors in slow motion, it's like doom, basically. Best actor, who you got? I would say Ben Affleck's the best actor in this film. I agree. He's really good I in agree. this. Ben Affleck's great in it. He's awesome. He sells every goddamn line. Yeah. But you can see he's just a cut above the rest. Not that Ben's known for terrific, terrific. He's not an Oscar-winning actor. He's very good. Yeah. But he's just top of the movie, I think, in terms of his skill. And then, obviously, McConaughey's most most memorable in this film. But in terms of like acting, it's um, I, Ben does a lot in this film. Especially, it's, it always surprises me when I watch the movie. I'm like, he's really good in this. Especially the scene where he he chases Mitch and his buddy down Carl to Carl's house, and his mother comes out with the shotgun. Ben is really great in that scene. In the freakouts, obviously, he's despicable. But he's got to be because it's the character. So I think yeah. he nails this movie. He's he's just very hateable. He's easy to hate. He is. What's the best line from Dazed and Confused? You just gotta keep on living, man. L-I-V-I-N. L-I-V-I-N. Which McConaughey said he, he took from something his dad used to say to him. I would love to see the what, McConaughey like, like a fly on that house. <laughs> like his who? father, unfortunately, passed away during production of this movie. Yeah, so he said. filmed a couple of scenes and he went to his father's funeral. And then the next scene he actually filmed after burying his father was the Emporium scene. That was the next thing he filmed was standing against Damn. the wall. Wow. Fucking way to control your emotions, man. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, there's a reason why. And like someone like that, you can tell he, what makes someone like him different from, he's the best actor of this, in this film overall. Yeah. He's now, become yeah. the greatest actor of this cast. It's not even close in my opinion, but you can see it in the work ethic. And I saw an interview where he was through the first scene. Oh, I actually have it right here. Let's get him in. So. 
The top-notch scene in which Wooderson invites the nerd characters to the keg party. So when he invites them to the party, talking to the redhead. Um, Red is the, my favorite color. Yeah, that's the first scene McConaughey filmed. And he, McConaughey recalls saying right before they filmed that he asked Linklater to give, to give him 30 minutes because I need to take a walk and go through Who Am I? And he remembered a live recording of Jim Morrison repeating All Right four times. And McConaughey considered that Wooderson cares about four things. His car, getting high, rock and roll, and girls. Right around this time I hear action, says McConaughey. And in my mind I go, well, he's got three out of four of those things, and here's that fourth I'm pulling up to get that right now. McConaughey used that line of thought to craft the line, all right, all right, all right, on the spot, which later became a catchphrase for both him and his character. And you can just see he's on this set, and I'm sure all the other actors did a good job and did work in preparation, but he's mentally, like, he's just playing this this stoner, this guy, but he's putting so much thought into what his behavior is. And that's, I think, something that separates a great actor from maybe not very good actors is, like, really trying to hone in on the behavior of this individual that I'm portraying. You can see it in this role. You wouldn't think it. Looks like they're just having fun. And I'm sure many of the actors were just having fun, but he was, like, taking it so seriously. And like you said earlier, Wooderson wasn't supposed to be as big of a character as he is in this movie, because, but because McConaughey is so good, everyone's feeding off his energy, off his chemistry. He gets more into the film rather than Pickford. I'm sure he was a leader on the set in a way probably. with the actors. He probably, I wonder if he, he wasn't even that old, I don't think. I think he was younger than some of the actors who were playing high schoolers, even though he's the oldest in the movie. Yeah, they did a, a good character. job with casting. Most of them look pretty young, but a couple of them do look older. But I would say, like, growing up, I always thought they looked so old. Yeah. And now I think they look so young. But when you're a freshman, seniors look old as hell anyways. As a freshman, seniors look like fucking like they're old people Middle and adults. And they have, like, seven kids. Yeah, very intense. But then, you're like, when you're an adult, you're like, they still look like, they look like babies. They seniors do. do. All right, my... Best line from Days and Confused is Mr. Payne in the middle school class as they're waiting for the bell to ring, but also when O'Bannon and the others come and they speak on their speakerphone to say that uh, you, if you run, you're gonna get it worse. But if you come out right now, you know we'll we'll give you one lick each, and that'll be it, or or something like that. And then so the Mitch and his buddies go up to the teacher, Mr. Payne, to ask if he can like let them out earlier. And then Mr. Payne smiles at them and goes. It's like our sergeant told us before one trip into the jungle. Men, 50 of you are leaving on this mission. 25 of you ain't coming back. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so funny. All right, let's get into our intermission now. But oh, I have one. Who's, the, who's your favorite character? Favorite character? Good question. It's Wooderson, man. Yeah, it's Wooderson. It's Wooderson. It's Wooderson. Everyone loves Wooderson. All right. Well, actually, here's another one. What's the best song? Or use of music, which which track is the best? You think? I would say. Um, hold on. Let me, let me look at this. There's a track, track list right here. Let me, let turn my see. turn my computer. Just don't pull the plugs because we're rolling. I won't pull anything. So, can you see? Yeah, I can see. Uh, school's out. School's, school's out, out by Alice Cooper. Yeah, I would probably say the best needle drop. I think is. I, I think I'm gonna go with. Bob Dylan's Hurricane at the Emporium. It's it's really great. It's a great song. It fits the mood perfectly as well. But also Aerosmith at the opening. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot it's of such a good drops. Oh, man. It's goddamn hard It's to an under, underrated uh, soundtrack for it sure. It is. I was listening to it at the gym yesterday, man. It's freaking awesome. It's because Linklater doesn't use soundtracks in many of his other movies. So I think this kind of just gets forgotten in a way. Yeah, I guess He's not the before movies 
two of them have soundtracks, right? One of them doesn't, I don't think. I think the second one doesn't. I mean, they'll have soundtracks, but it's not like very famous songs. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of originally composed music for, for movies, yeah. I think two of the Before movies have it. Uh, Before Midnight definitely has Yeah, Before score. Midnight has the most uh, of an original score. Yeah. The first one might be the one that doesn't, actually. I don't think the first one has... I, I think, think I don't think the second one has a score. One of the, I have to double check. Yeah. It if might only, be the first one. If only we had the internet. But let's move on to our intermission, and before <laughs> we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast, obviously is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast because you get awesome perks like a weekly bonus episode that every patron has access to as well as the weekly chat, which is exclusively on Patreon. Tons and tons of perks like free merch, private watch parties, custom episodes. It's the best way to support our show. It helps us pay the rent and pay the bills because we couldn't do it without it. So thank you to everyone who is a patron and supports us financially. You are the best you can sign up today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast or just use the link in the description of this episode. It'll be a clickable link. It's very easy to do and anyone can sign up. If you don't have a credit card or something, just steal it from your mom's pocketbook. Moving on to another great way to support our show. I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, you know, want you to steal, but it might maybe ask her for Christmas or something. <laughs> don't steal. Someone's getting Godfather for Godfather tier for Christmas, though. They have Santa, they said. Aw, what a great present. Santa will oblige, hopefully. You can also support Oblige? Oblige. 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 Did I say oblige? You said oblige. Oblige. <laughs> You're obliged to shut the F up while I continue this. The best, the other great way to support our show is leaving reviews on Spotify and Apple. Those five-star ratings really help us get seen on the platforms. I know every show says the same thing. Leave us those five-star reviews. Leave us those five-star reviews. That's because it actually works. Leave us the five-star Don't leave reviews. them five-star yeah. reviews. Leave us. Leave us the five-star reviews. It's the way we get seen. Helps us chart on Spotify and Apple. We love to read the written reviews out on Apple Podcasts as well. If you have iTunes, if you have an iPhone, you can just go on and leave a review anytime. We love to read them out. They're so fun. But if you don't have an iPhone, you can still sign up for Apple Podcasts and still leave a review. So you don't. You just need an email. That's all you need. That's all you need. You can do it with Make your, a fake email. Yeah. 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 Everyone's got burner emails. You have a burner email? I have four burner emails. That doesn't surprise me. Anthony, why don't you take it over with a, a ad read? You think you could do it? I could just so I talk yeah, less. Uh, I'll tell like Anthony, oh, everybody, I'm Anthony. I'm dying. I have a sore throat, and I'm blaming it on the dust in the room. <laughs> no, the dust is making it worse. Well, then stop talking. We do need to vacuum. Stop talking, here. Anthony, all right? So Anthony's ad, which I'll take over for him after he coughs up a lung over there, is from MoviePosters.com, the best sponsor we have and we've been with them for three years now moviepoasters.com is the best place to get your movie posters today obviously the holiday season just passed but that doesn't mean you still can't use our code raiders10 right now to get 10% off your entire order at checkout at moviepoasters.com moviepoasters all the posters you see on our set they're from this incredible company they're based in Canada they're terrific they're awesome they're really fun we love them so much and you should too because they have every movie you could ever think of. Of course they have Dazed and Confused posters. Are you kidding me? If you love stoner movies, you love high school movies, you love rock and roll movies, you can find them there at MoviePosters.com. And again, don't forget to use our code or else I'll find you. I will find you if you don't use our code. And make you squeal. Make you squeal. I see. I know a squealer when I see one. and That's you right there. So use our code Raiders10 at checkout from MoviePosters.com to get 10% off your order today. Let's get back into... Oh, go to do our intermission. Yeah, yeah. Great job, by the way. Sorry, man. I was so amped up. So, Anthony, you ready for this movie quote? Ready. There are fierce powers at work in the world, boys. Good, evil, poor luck, 
best luck. As men, we've got to take advantage where we can. Can you say it again? There are fierce powers at work in the world, boys. Good, evil, poor luck, best luck. As men, we've got to take advantage where we can. No idea. Mud. Oh, nice. Mud. It's a good movie. Thanks. All right, here's my quote. Now you listen to me. I'm an advertising man, not a red herring. I've got a job, a secretary, a mother, two, ex- two ex-wives, and several bartenders that depend upon me. <laughs> and I don't intend to disappoint them all by getting myself slightly killed. Oh, my God. What is this? I fucking know it. I feel like it's something I've watched recently, too. We did watch it. We watched it together recently. Say it again. Now you listen to me. I'm an advertising man, not a red herring. I've got a job, a secretary, a mother, two ex-wives, and several bartenders that depend upon me. And I don't intend to disappoint them all by getting myself slightly killed. I can't think of it, man. Such a good line. What is it? North by Northwest. God damn it! Which is hilarious. God damn it. It's such a funny movie. It really is. We saw it at the New Bev, and it's laugh out loud funny from start to finish. It's such a good line. Yeah. It's, It's great. Okay, guess this movie release year, Anthony. Ed TV. <laughs> Woody and Matthew. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with... Two, it's, it was after Truman Show, but not long after. So I'm going to go with 2001. Too long. Too 1999. Long. Oh, damn. Yeah. 1999. <laughs> I'll never forget. Uh, I was, was between two firms, and McConaughey was on, and Zach Galifianakis asked, asked McConaughey... What was the weed budget for True Detective? <laughs> <laughs> and he died. He cried. He totally lost character. He dropped character. He just like. He Another so one funny. he asked McConaughey in the Between Two Ferns is, you're wearing a shirt. Is everything okay? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Oh, my God. All right. Mo- uh, movie, movie release yeah, here. For you, yeah. North by Northwest. What year did it come out? What year was it? 19... 19- 1958? Close, 59. Damn. Very close. Damn. Almost. Almost. All right, movie pop quiz time. What movie do both Matthew McConaughey and Tom Cruise appear in? What? Oh, that's easy. Tropic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> For a second. Gotcha. Did you get the TiVo yet? <laughs> no TiVo? <laughs> Big dick. Big dick player. No more freaking fly a bitch mouse from my boy. For my boy. Player. <laughs> Swinging from your knees. <laughs> we gotta do that soon. All right. How many films did Cary Grant make with Alfred Hitchcock? Three. Four. There's North by Northwest, Notorious, Suspicion, and To Catch a Thief. One of his muses. My muse. My muse. All right, Anthony, do you have any haters this week? Any unsubscribes? What are we cooking with over there, pal? Oh, yeah. Well, we had a lot of haters for just liking Wonka. (laughs) Dude, it's insane. So I made a tweet where just three comments of people saying that we we were paid for this review. It's insane. If you liked Wonka. They probably didn't watch the movie. If you liked Wonka, apparently you were a paid review. I freaking wish we were paid to review that movie. It would be nice to get paid to review It's crazy, man. The people took it so seriously. One of them was... Let's see. Have y'all lost your mind or being paid by the studios? Another one was, this movie reeks of corporate greed and planted reviews. <laughs> Rent due, TikToks. It's crazy, man. Wild. Planted reviews. I, I wish just we- genuinely really liked it. Sorry that, 
I mean, that's why I like the movie because it was so positive. I'm still thinking. I st- keep humming the song. It was so sweet. Yeah. Chocolate. And then there's chocolate. Yeah, you have been singing that. I don't even like musicals, but I fucking loved it. What do you mean you don't like musicals? <laughs> Most musicals. Some I do. So you were paid to make the reviews. Basically, yes. Yeah, you caught us, everybody. We were paid to go see Willy Wonka, see Wonka and make a review about it. I, I wish. wish. That's actually only happened once. Yeah. It was Dune. It was Dune. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to pay us. But they, they didn't have to. <laughs> they were like, you want to, can you do an episode on Dune? We'll pay you. We were like, oh, I yeah. guess so. Like, we weren't going to, but now we will. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we, weren't, we weren't planning to talk about Dune. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have some unsubscribes. From Rain Man, 1186, they wrote in our Wonka episode, you said they made the movie for only $125? Check your facts. <laughs> Unsubscribes. Yeah. You've lately just stopped saying million when you talk about I know, budgets. I know. You I, keep just yeah. saying dollar. Because <laughs> I remember I edited Wonka, yeah. and I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely. <laughs> and then I replied, it was made on sale. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I posted my top 10 films of 2023 of, on Letterboxd on Twitter. And then the White Wolf wrote, Midnight Ruin was snubbed. Unsubscribed. <laughs> that was cute. And then uh, I posted a Oppenheimer visual effects clip on YouTube Shorts, and the Red Guard wrote unsubscribed. I'm not r- sure why, but just unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> and then Stormload wrote, "Y'all said Dream Scenarios director was English when he is Norwegian." Hashtag unsubscribe. And you wrote, "Haha, blame Anthony." And then you wrote, "I will remember this." <laughs> Did I say he was English? Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember saying that. I must have though. It's on the tape. And then uh, Gina wrote on our movie news episode, both Quiet Place movies are rated PG-13 and they suck. Unsubscribe. (laughs) (laughs) I think I said they were rated R or one of us did. I think so, yeah. (laughs) That was funny. You know who the hottest one was? Gina. (laughs) Gina. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking out of nowhere, four-year-old virgin. Well, her name's Gina. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so Gina. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this one's J-E-A-N-A. Okay. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> What's your streaming recommendation, Anthony? Charade on Prime, which is uh, another Cary Grant film, not directed by Alfred Hitchcock, but co-starring Audrey Hepburn. It's really fun. I selected Juno, which is on Hulu, another great high school movie. And The Great Cat, too. And A Great Cat, and, you know, high school movies are are so good and memorable when they're done well. And the characters are what make Days of Confused so special. Even going down to characters like they either joke. Wow, what Wood- a segue. Well, thanks. Woodward and Bernstein, the characters that are, what are their names? So we have the dorkier guys. Mike and Tony. Mike and Tony. And these two guys, Woodward and Bernstein, as they're called, sort of just look on at everybody from the outside perspective they're spectators, of spectators yeah. yeah they're, they're like observers. this is so ridiculous what we're doing just getting drunk and going crazy and then one of them eventually gets into the fight at the party so he sort of just goes into this alpha male instinct that he's just yelling about fucking alpha male and then he kind of just takes in that alpha male energy and just tries to be one and fight him and he thinks the fight's gonna get broken up within uh, two seconds yeah. <laughs> he throws his punch he's like oh shit nobody's here he's so analytical he's like this is the plan right I'm gonna get in there I'm gonna throw one good punch and then it's gonna get broken up you know he's gonna come on top of me, but then everybody—that's <laughs> everybody, <laughs> everybody, what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> then everyone's gonna break up the fight. That's what's gonna happen. He's like, it's just that shit. That's what will happen. And then he throws the punch and he looks around and nobody tries to stop the fight and he gets his ass kicked. You know what? Actually, I, I I made a mistake. I think my favorite scene because it's so true is 
when they're at Kevin's house and they're all smoking, and then his parents knock on the door, and then they they hide all the weed. They start <laughs> they throw incense out, and then they start spraying. spraying. And it's like it's so fucking true because they're so when you hang out with friends, there are friends who their parents had no idea that their kid was a, a stoner, and then you hung and like that's what you guys were doing in their room or like in like their den or whatever. And then there's there were parents who didn't care. And they were like, yeah, whatever. Just as long as you're under our roof, you guys can smoke and watch a movie, whatever. So there are those. There are two kinds of like parenting involved with social teens and socializing. Well, then there's the parents who are just not there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sad. <laughs> On a Saturday, <laughs> those aren't the only two, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. someone listening is like two that's major not kinds. True. Two major kinds. All right, I'm generalizing. Okay, two generalized I know, forms of parenting. <laughs> and then, but with the with the parents who were like oblivious, it was like. There were ways to disguise it, and incense were like the best way to disguise that you were smoking, because incense are such powerful scents, and they overwhelm the room. It's a great way to mask weed, the, weed, the smell of weed. So visine for your eyes. Yeah, visine for the eye. We were always just like, oh, throw the visine on <laughs> when you come home. Get, make sure your eyes are nice and uh, hydrated, not red like the rebel, like the devil's dick. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes are red. It's the devil's dick. <laughs> You're high as fuck. You're high as a fucking kite. Yeah, a fucking kite. <laughs> and so I love that scene because, like, that's such a commonality. And sometimes parents are just oblivious. You know, like, they might just think like they're too trusting of their kids. Scene. And then sometimes their kids are like the like the most troublesome kids in, in like the worst behaved kids, but they won't even know it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like that scene because it's it great. Feels like I've been in that situation at it, least a dozen times. Exactly, where the parents are knocking on the door and you're like, "Fuck, fuck, put it away, put it away, put it away." It's so funny. Spraying the spraying the spray, everything. It's so it's so true, man. It, it feels so, like you're in that room. It was like Axe body spray, cologne, yeah. whatever you could. But the thing is, this movie, even though there's a lot of weed smoked in this movie, it does. It's not a stoner movie, in my opinion. Still, you know what I mean? I would say it's. I would say it's part stoner, but not it's not a stoner. It's movie. like yeah, it's, it's not, got it's, a lot of it. It's, it's got a lot of smoking in it. Yeah, yeah but the, it has just as much drinking and just as much just hanging around, just like just yeah. teens being teens. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. It's just a teen movie because what a lot of teens do, especially in the seventies, everyone was lighting up, dude. Everybody was smoking weed. Everyone was. Partying. Oh yeah, is that what the- <laughs> that's what everyone did. <laughs> I have it on good authority. I talked to Janice. She said she smoked the devil's lettuce all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love when uh when the seniors. Just kidding, Bob. <laughs> after the seniors, after the seniors paddle one of the boys at, at night on that street, and the girl and the senior girls pull up, and one of them he opens the trunk, and there's like 600 beers in the trunk. <laughs> Can we have some of those beers? What these beers? <laughs> it's so funny. He might be the coolest character. He's very cool. Worsen. So that character's name. I like that character a lot. Is hold on. It's Don. Don Dawson. Yeah. He's also on the football team, played by Sasha Jensen. I don't, what else has this guy been in? He looks so familiar. I think it's just from this, really. But he's really memorable. He seems like one of the coolest guys at school. He's in one of the Halloween movies, Halloween 4. Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well. Grind. He's very good in the film. Yeah. Because he's, he's like that. He's like the wild card. Wild, wild card, one of the cool guys. High but energy. Also, yeah, high energy, but also like the guy who gets all the girls. And he knows how to talk to girls. And he, you know, he's like clearly like the most charming amongst women for for the guys i like how he's giving mitch advice because mitch has been talking to that sophomore girl he's yeah. like what's up with this older girl he's like here's what you do you know if she asks you for, if she asks if you need a ride say like no i'm good but maybe i'll see you later sounds dumb but it works trust me it, it works, works. <laughs> but he, he does a great job because like there, there's that guy in your school in that in your class there's that guy who's just like so effortless talking to women well, and just that guy, like yeah. all the characters in the movie, there's that guy, there's that girl. We all yeah. remember from our high school class. 
you can identify someone from that you went to school with that's in this movie. That's sure. what's really great about the characters, yeah. whether it's O'Bannon, whether it's Don, whether it's even also Randall Pink Floyd. You know, Randall's the quarterback of the football team. He's the star QB. He's also a party man. He's a popular guy. He likes to rage. He likes to get high. He likes to just... He's very anti-authority as well. Everyone likes him. Yeah, he's just a cool guy. Everyone likes him. And he might be the coolest kid in school, you could argue. I would say, yeah, definitely. And the thing with Randall is this, this is one of the main storylines in the film, even though they're not a ton. It's not that serious, but there's a, a handful of legit story arcs that progresses through the night and through the day. And one of them is Randall, who... The coach of the football team wants all the technically juniors who are about to be seniors to sign this basically piece of paper pledge. saying a pledge saying that they won't party, they won't smoke weed, they won't drink alcohol. They're just going to commit to the football team as their main priority during the summer, during the offseason, going into training camp in the fall next year. And it's Texas. People take football very seriously down there, and you can understand that from the coach's perspective, but also at the same time, Randall doesn't want to do any of that, and he's just delaying and putting it off as long as possible. And even though he tries to get rid of this pledge multiple times, it sort of just keeps coming back and back to him until the final time he sees the pledge is when at the football field at the 50-yard line at the end of the film after the Moon Tower party, Randall has Wooderson go to his car to get some joints or to get some rolling papers, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, papers. And then inside the glove box, he finds the pledge that he makes fun of Randall for. Then Randall takes that pledge a, f- a couple hours later when the cops come. Then the coach comes. He takes the pledge and he tosses it at the coach. like, I might play ball, coach, but I will never sign that. He wants to play on his own terms. He doesn't want to have to make this pledge. He's anti-authority. Very much yeah, so. Yeah, he's, he's a rebellious spirit. And I love uh, when the cops show up and Wooderson uh, is the last one to go through the fence. And he clearly went to high school with the cops He's like, you just, you still mad that you, you, you're a cop and I got all this? <laughs> Reliving your glory days on the football field, Wooderson. <laughs> it's so funny. But the characters, you know, you know, you've known them all, especially O'Bannon. There was always that one guy who was just took everything too far. He's a bully to everybody, and even though he's sort of part of the cool kids because of his authority and his hierarchy, I guess and you could say part socially, of the team. yeah, yeah in, in a t- on the team as well. He's part of the cool kids, but you know the cool kids don't even like the guy, but he's just there because he's part of it, you know? Yeah, so uh, O'Bannon's like that, and also he's a second-year senior because he's he's dropping out, basically. He's, he's flunking out, so he's going to be a senior again. Pink said he's basically a joke when Mitch asks him about him. He's like, yeah, he's he's a joke, even though like he, we hang out with him. He's he's on the team. He's part of the cool group. But like he's like amongst all of us. He's he's the he's a joke. He seems to like almost half the time always be by himself. Especially after he gets the shotgun pulled on him, he comes out to the other guys later on, and he's just by himself. And he goes to them in the pickup truck. He's like, "You guys here? I got a sh- shotgun pulled on me." Like yeah. no one cares. But and this is the first time they're hearing about it. O'Bannon's acting like it's spreading around town. And he's the one spreading the news. He's gonna have a really bad start to the senior year to know that because everybody knows that a bunch of. Uh, j- freshman dumped paint on him and got away with it. Yeah, and Ben Affleck actually broke his ankle in this movie. So the paint scene after the kids get him back. Oh my god, I saw him roll it. Yeah, so yeah. Th- they dump the paint on his head outside the Emporium and then he's freaking out at everybody. He has his paddle. He's just yelling at everybody, pushing everyone around and he's heading to his car. Before he opens his car door, he takes his paddle and breaks it on the ground and slams it on the ground. On one of those slaps to the ground, his ankle rolls horribly. Yeah. He broke his ankle, but Ben doesn't break character. He limps a couple times, gets in his car, and drives off. It's a one take. It's an awesome like 40, 50 second shot. He doesn't break character and drives off, but he broke his ankle right there. I saw that last night, and I saw the ankle 
fucking roll over. It was when he he did like a turn after yeah. throwing the paddle. Yeah. He twisted his body and must have been the paint on the bottom of his shoe just completely slipped and all of his weight went onto his right foot. Oh my god. And the ankle mm. just like went uh per- it went uh perpendicular. I was like, oh it's like shit. a right angle. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think of anything of it, but I did notice the ankle roll in that shot. It looked like it hurt. Look, yeah, he fucking yeah. Kudos definitely. to him too. He's, a, he's r- a big guy, so there's yeah, a lot of weight on four, a lot yeah. of weight right there. And that's his right foot, so he had to drive off. He did it, man. Yeah, kudos to him. But one of the things I love about this film is the simplicity of the era. This movie's really just about cars, girls, and rock and roll. Aerosmith tickets, smoking weed, having fun with your with your friends. But I just love the cars in this movie. It, that's what it was really like back then because we didn't have technology like we have now back then well, we, well they didn't have it not me i didn't grow up back then but cars were a huge <laughs> back part in my day in cars the were a huge part of life and the cars were so much cooler back then than they are now and there are so many epic cars in this film and it was just sort of part of your identity was the kind of car you had and everyone it meant a lot to you i think having a car driving around even in a small town like this so i love just the atmosphere and the the culture around just having a cool same thing car. with American Graffiti. Yeah, you know the entire culture is in a way built around cars and having a car. Now we all just have Corollas and Priuses until I get my my Porsche, baby. Still talking about that. I'm gonna get that one day. <laughs> you should like Photoshop a photo of yourself in it, <laughs> so that you can like manifest it with visualizing it. At my old job, I, I photoshopped myself inside of a Lambo. In a I remember that, and people thought it was real. It wasn't even a good Photoshop job. It was a comically bad. Didn't one. you post it on social media? Yeah, like yeah, you posted uh, on Instagram. Some people were like, oh my god, did you have a? Did you really get a Lamborghini? And it looked bad. I, like I saw it, and I was like, it's so fake. That's but it's what funny. I mean. But a lot of people are fooled by it, yeah. People, they don't really pick up on Photoshop very well. Yeah. Even something as comically bad as the lighting was totally different. My head was huge compared to the car. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, I mean, I was always fooled by Photoshop as a kid. Excuse me, one sec. <clears throat> yeah, get it out, man. But now when I look at, like, old movie posters, I'm like, that looks so fucking fake. It looks terrible. But, like, that's... They were even Photoshopping in the 2000s, you know I mean? That, that, that was... Photoshop came out in the late 90s, so it was being used by professionals for, it has been being used for almost 30 years now. I've been using it for 10 years, 12 years, something like that, which is crazy. But everyone can connect to this movie, even if you didn't grow up in a time before smartphones, but in terms of just wanting to fit in, wanting to be cool, wanting to be part of the clique, part of the crowd, the it crowd, getting invited to parties and going to hang out at the cool spots around town, whether it's a parking lot or the Emporium or just the the right kinds of people to be cool in school. And it's it's what makes this film so different in the teen genre is that like you said earlier with Link, Linklater not wanting to do any of the tropes that you saw in other teen movies. Like it's so refreshing to see a teen movie not about prom. Yeah, or to see a teen movie not about like trying to get the girl or trying to get the guy or about sports or really. Sp- in the sports is subtly but we're not seeing yeah. sports play besides baseball for it's, a few. That's why this movie it really stands on its own in the genre as really the best of the entire bunch because it captures it doesn't care about a conflict and it doesn't care about plot. It cares about capturing the culture and capturing the community and it does it and that's why it's so cool and so different because it's not some cheesy storyline because when you go to high school, like you said, you were saying earlier, it's like that stuff, like the big vent, the big driving force of a movie's conflict, that doesn't happen to everybody in high school. It happens to like maybe one or a couple people if they're like the quarterback of the team or whatever. Or, but like the biggest, the biggest drama in high school was like someone got like alcohol poisoning at a party last week and, or like there was a fight in the parking lot. Like that was it. 
There was never like crazy conflict that would drive like a movie's narrative, but it was just more about like you're just getting by and everybody was going through it. Everybody was just trying to figure things out. And, and for the most part, there was not much drama at all. And this movie captured that. There was some drama, of some course. Drama, yeah. But it's always like relationship stuff yeah. where obviously... Well, gossip, yeah. Yeah, well, we have a little bit of a love triangle in this movie with Randall and the other girl that makes out with him in the forest in the woods at the Moon Tower Yeah, because Simone's his girlfriend. Simone's yeah. his girlfriend. So that's always happening. But I love the height, the eighth grade dance as well the, with the love heart sequence where the other kids are... Mitch has been hanging out with the older kids and these the other eighth graders, his other friends are at this this eighth grade dance and they're leaving the dance. One of them's making out with a girl and they're like, This is our last eighth grade party, man. We're moving up to the big leagues now. We're gonna be freshmen where all the girls are putting out. No more wasting your time sucking face, bro. <laughs> so funny. Oh my god. I love how the girls like when they leave, she's like Oh, man. She's by herself now. There's some good wisdom in this movie, though, as well. Specifically, mostly from Wooderson. Yeah. He's got so many great lines. However, I think his best line in terms of when it comes to just life in general is talking to Mitch on the football field, basically saying, telling he's really influential to Mitch. I mean, to um, Randall. I'm sorry. Randall on the football field. And he says to him, the older you get, the more rules they try to get you to follow. Which, my goodness, that is... True as hell. No one really prepares you for all the rules you'll have to follow as you get older and older and eventually in college, then out of college, even if you don't go to college, but just the rules that you have to follow on a daily basis. You think when you're a kid that when you're an adult, you're going to have it all figured out and life's going to be easier, but it's just going to get harder and harder in terms of being controlled or being attempted to be controlled. Yeah, and the film does a great job of contrasting uh, insightful moments with great comedy. So another example of that is when they dr- when they climb up the moon tower and they're looking out at the town. And they're like, look at how fucking small this town is. Like, this is the middle of nowhere. And then the stoner guy goes, imagine how many people out there are fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I love Slater, man. I love when they're climbing up that tower and Mitch is with them. Because Mitch is going to be the coolest kid in school eventually. Oh, yeah, for sure. He'll be the cool senior. And they're climbing up the moon tower ladder. And they're all trying to just scare Mitch because he's the freshman. And Slater's telling him the story about... How, oh man, last year they had this shut down because a freshman fell down and hit every every bar on the way down with his face. And he only had one beer. How many did you have? Four? Oh man, you're so dead, bro. Look, there's still dried blood right the there. the blood stains. <laughs> I love when he's like George Washington grew fields of weed. Yeah, I love, I love fields of it. The conspiracy theorists. The stoners are a lot of fun. The conspiracy stuff yeah. is hysterical. They're Slater's, aliens, man. Slater. Everyone knew a Slater. Yeah. Everyone knew a Slater. And that's what I love about that character too. His conspiracy theories. The thing with George Washington, I mean, it's kind of true. He didn't grow weed. He grew hemp. Mm-hmm. And cannabis, but hemp. For, hemp was used for all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, for rope yeah. and for agriculture. It's great material to yeah. grow, but yeah. <laughs> that shut down eventually. But <laughs> I like the theory that uh, George Washington's wife was it Mar- Martha? Martha Washington. Martha's at home waiting, got a bowl ready for him every time he comes home. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we used to die watching this. We've all had situations where you're gonna go to a party, but it gets busted, and the bar- party's a bust. So you got to figure something else out. Your bust. Do. The kegs, are, the kegs arrived to Pickford's house too early, and then his dad just— You took me to my first keg party. Yeah, probably. And when you're in college. I think so. They're, you know, they're all right. I was like, this is it. It was like a line in the basement of some house. Yeah, it's, I was like, that's all it is. the fuck is this? <laughs> it's just, yeah, they're it's overrated. not like the books. <laughs> not like it is not, in the not books, like huh, the, John? Not like the movies. <laughs> <laughs> they're way cooler in movies. 
There's a lot of slow-mo in movie parties. <laughs> no, sometimes you have a really fun keg party, but for yeah. the most part, it's just a bunch of people. A bunch just of people in the house just drinking. Drinking beer. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> That's what drinking is. You just stand at a bar with people you know, and you just drink and talk. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah, I mean, but Days Confused, it's sort of a coming of age involving that as well as the desire to be to fit in, to be cool, teenage vulnerability, teenage angst. We've all been in positions of this. We've all, we can all relate to different characters in this movie, if not just one multiple of them, or they're characters that maybe we wanted to be when we were in high school, never got the opportunity to fulfill those shoes because we weren't right for that part in the, in, the, in school or in a football team where you can never do it. Yeah. But we can watch it and kind of feel like we're those characters where we had that life in a way. Yeah, 100%. Or we can see that experience authentically in a movie like this. About authenticity, bro. <laughs> all right, Anthony. Your voice sounds like it's been through the ringer. <coughs> you you good? I'm fine. All right. Uh, you have anything else on Days and Confused? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That wraps our episode on Richard Linklater's <laughs> Days and Confused. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. It was such a blast to talk about one of the great high school films coming out of America back in 1993. Still iconic to this day. You can still see its imprints and influence on movies that are just coming out recently. Catch you later. Catch you later, man. <laughs> Catch you later. Why are you going to be such a dork, man? Catch you later. Chicks don't want to hear that. What do you mean, man? You don't know what chicks want. Catch C- you later. Catch you later. Catch you later, man. <laughs> you know the word man's used over 200 times in this movie? Oh, wow. Yeah. But thank you for tuning in. Again, become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You get access to weekly bonus episodes as well as awesome perks in addition to that. You can leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple. When you're trying to get 2,000 on Apple, we're only at 1,800. We need those numbers up. Get those numbers up. You don't have to leave a written review. Just go on there. Hit the five-star button. It takes like a couple seconds. A couple seconds. Anthony needs it, man. I need cough drops. <laughs> Anthony needs it, man. Anthony needs those cough drops. <laughs> so leave those reviews. And again... Share us with your family and friends. It's the best way for a podcast to grow. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, like, leave a comment. Also very helpful. And take care, everybody. Catch you later. Catch you later, man. (laughs) (laughs) This episode was executive produced by our chosen one patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Darian, Tyler McFly, and Sal Koching. Our chosen one patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button as well. Notifications for sure. Listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere. You can listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out this other content we have on our YouTube channel.